Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. My name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode six of our season nine. In today's episode, you speak to a nature facilitator, outdoors facilitator. A nature connection facilitator. Oh, so good. What a a title. Absolutely. I mean, you smiled when I told you that that was the title. Like you're like, oh. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I talked to Trisha Walker in today's episode and Trisha is obviously a nature connection facilitator. She's an author. She has been blogging in the um, nature, eco, tiny home living kind of space for a very long time and I've followed her work for a very long time. And she's also the person who introduced me to the idea of barefoot bushwalking. Oh, way back Mm -hmm. then. Yep. Yep. I remember I I saw an Instagram post or a blog post of hers many years ago where she was talking about barefoot bushwalking. And I'm like, Trisha, that is crazy. No way. Who would do that? Who would do that? What about ants and spiders and snakes? And then, I don't know, it's a little seed in the back of my brain that took a long time to germinate. And then one day I was on a bushwalk and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to try it. And I did. Red, and, red, red Hands Cave Walk. Yeah. Mm. Yep. In the... Blue Mountains National Park. So, I mean, since that, I did it as well. You did. Well, you've done it a few times. The kids um, have done it a few times. I don't know that you're all as enthusiastic as I am. I don't do it anymore. (laughs) To be fair, where we live is not entirely great for barefoot bushwalking at the moment. Well, particularly not right at the moment. It's raining torrentially. Pouring outside. Yeah. So, I'm eternally grateful to Trisha for that. Um, and just for introducing me to a, a much broader idea of what living a nature-oriented life looks like. Like outdoor schools and nature schools are pretty big, especially in northern North America. That's where I sort of first engaged mm-hmm. with Like them. wild schools. Wild and, schools yeah. and stuff. Is that what she does? Is it at that child level no, or more adults? she works with women specifically. So Trisha hosts um, these nature connection gatherings specifically for women because she has such a a passion and a depth of knowledge about the cyclical nature of women's bodies. So we talk a lot about menstrual cycles, but we also talk about the cycles of the moon and how the fluctuations of, you know, I'm not even going to pretend I know what I'm talking about, but like the fluctuations in the moon cycle and how we can harness those to not only strengthen our connection with nature, um, ourselves, but also to shift the way we we work and socialize mm. and show up in, uh, you know, in our homes and in our families. So Trisha's work is very much oriented to women. But in saying that, I think this conversation is for everyone because I know I learned a lot talking to Trisha, and I know I've spoken to you a lot about it since. And I've had many conversations about um, this idea of using our cycles to shift the way we we view ourselves and the way we quote, should operate in the world at any given time, you know? Yeah. So there's, it's a really, it's a really juicy, fun conversation. You also mentioned something about a midlife gap year. Yes. Yeah. I'm interested. I'm interested too. Subscribe. (laughs) Sign me up. No, so Trisha talks about that. It ended up kind of stretching out to two years, Uh, but you know, the importance of whether it is a year, whether it is a day, whether it is an hour of taking that step back from, and it's something you and I have spoken about for years, you know, from the expectations 
from the um, what almost feels like preformed steps that come next, you know, and opting out and sinking into ourselves, our minds, our, you know, like checking in. And so Trisha's done that, but she's done that over a period of almost two years. Mm-hmm. So she talks about the shift and how difficult it was, but also how rewarding it's been um, in doing that and the logistics of it. You know, you can't just kind of unsubscribe from everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, but your family might not be very <laughs> happy with you. <laughs> one day you're here, one day you're not. Yep. And Trisha also talks about how um, she has explored this idea and, and experimented herself and now facilitates for other people um, the idea of wilderness solos. Oh, yeah. So we're kind of talking like alone, alone style. Yeah, without the TVs and, you know, the money at the end of it. But she goes out into the bush uh, and kind of does a vision quest. So, you know, is fasting and doesn't have any activity to do. You know, there's no shelter building. There's no food preparation or anything like that. It's just stopping Mm. and being in nature for like multiple days at a time. Wow. Yeah. And that, I mean, it. are any psychedelics involved? I don't think so. Right. Not that you mentioned. Right. I know, I know that's kind of uh, one element of vision quest is mm. people go out and they, they all take like ayahuasca and stuff, I think. I don't We're know. We're so naive. I don't know. Stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I've never done it and I've never really looked into it, but I know that there's sort of a spectrum of what that can look like. But with Trisha, I think it's, um, an opportunity to simply just sit and mm. sink into being and, you know, kind of feeling that. It terrifies me, to be honest. It really excites well, me, yeah, it but it terrifies me. Yeah. Um, I often say I could do like a solo something as long as I could take books and things to write in. No. And if, if – because I was going to do a meditation retreat and they're like, you can't bring anything to read or anything to write. And I'm like, no. Nope, I'm out. Hard pass. <laughs> I know. There's been a, a, a few times that I've tried to pitch that to you and you've just gone, no, I can't do it. Which is my own block. Like that's a that's my own resistance and fear and stuff. I know that. But so obviously Trisha is far more um, courageous than I am. Yeah, these solo outings are very interesting. Like they just interest me. Yeah. I, I'm fascinated with them. But no frogs or toads were harmed in the making. Of as far as I'm aware, no. Right. no. Okay. It's not that, that kind of um, quest, I don't think. Right. Yeah. So, obviously, so much goodness in this episode, and I think that everyone's really going to enjoy it. I know I certainly did, and I've spoken about about it a lot since. If you would like to learn more about Trisha, she has a, a book coming out in, um, in you know the near future. You can head over to her website, which is trishadwalker.com.au. Uh, you can sign up to her emailing list and read her blog. Uh, and you can also follow her on Instagram at Trisha Eco. I hope you enjoy this episode. Trisha, hello. How are you? Hi, Brooke. How are you going? So much better for talking to you. Oh, thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. You and I, I feel like, have been playing interview tag over the years. So I'm genuinely thrilled and so excited to. Actually, I guess this is the first time we've met, quote, face-to-face. No, I did meet you once at a, I went up to speak to you, so I'm that forgettable. You were in Newcastle years ago, and I went up and said, you did a brilliant job. Um, you did really well. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> Such a jerk. <laughs> but, yeah, I do feel like I know you, but that is the only time we met for a few oh, seconds. Oh, wow. That was I'm very early good. on in your speaking. So that, and I did, you were, you did blow me away by how well you spoke. Was that with Mike? 
Campbell. Was that that event or was yes, it at the it festival? Was. Yeah, it was okay. Mike yeah, yeah, yeah. I, can I just tell you, um, <laughs> off topic, I was a wreck that night. I was oh, absolutely beside myself. Um, I have very little <laughs> recollection of the whole thing. And Mike was wonderful. And it was such a great group of people. Like it was a big gathering. But yeah, that was full on. And I'm so sorry. No, the cost was worth it because you did a brilliant job. I was impressed. Thank you. That's really kind of you. Anyway, lovely to be <laughs> face to face again. <laughs> so um, with that slightly awkward intro out of the way, <laughs> I really want to dive into it because I you have so much to share. Um, but the thing that recently I asked what listeners wanted more of from the podcast and so many people kept coming back to this idea um, of practical application of slow living. You know, um, let's talk to someone who has gone through the process of stripping away from, you know, overwhelming, busy life to essentially living in a tiny home in the country. What does that look like? And that's you, that's been your process over the last, you know, 10 years. Have you always had that sort of intention in mind or do you think that there is um, a time in the past where current Trisha would have seemed impossible to past Trisha? Current Trisha um, would not be familiar to past Trisha at all. I used to, I guess, um, so now I kind of aim for a gentle waxing and waning with my life. Um, I used to, was it boom and bust? So I was very driven full-time um, professional working for state government. I had a daughter in full-time childcare. I was juggling everything. Yes, so that is extremely different to the way I live my life now, but that was 10 years ago now, and it's still a work in progress. So mm -hmm. I'm still trying to work out how to, you know, we all know we need to rest, but that deciding when to rest and how to rest, because even sometimes we go, okay, I need to rest now. I need to rest mm -hmm. now. Um, so I guess for me, it's been very much about tuning into the seasons and cycles of nature and life. So nature, I guess that connection with nature has been what's allowed me to go from full-time working, busy, overwhelmed, anxious, exhausted Trisha to, you know, now every now and then, I become anxious or I get exhausted or overwhelmed, but I have the tools or the knowledge now to know when to step away and what I need to do when I step away. So what came first, I guess, is the question, you know, the tapping into the season and the seasons and cycles of life or the desire to learn how to, how to rest, how to step back a little bit? Oh, it was necessity, I guess. So the desire to live, a simpler, more authentic, more connected, a happier, healthier life was there. And then over the years, I've just been experimenting. And for me, I just slowed down and paid attention to instead of, I guess we're always rushing. So for me, it's just been about the pause. It's been about the being dormant. It's about the stopping and thinking. And that's how I guess I found nature and how I now use nature to remind mm. me when to rest and how to rest. And can I say you were the person who introduced me, I think, first to using our connection with nature in that way. So you're the first person who ever um, that I was aware of went barefoot bushwalking. And ah. I went from that's crazy to that's appealing to that is life changing. Because yeah. of you, you know, 
and it's sort of been that journey of seeing ourselves as part of nature um, but then using the time that we spend there as a learning place you know like how do I how do I feel when I take a moment to feel the you know the gravelly path under my feet how do I feel when I take a moment to listen to the bird song when I'm hanging the clothes out like these aren't big audacious things that we need to do they are just you know a, a continual decision to tap into the the senses and the experience of being in nature and for me that's been kind of a process of recognizing that we are not apart you know we are a part we're not apart from nature did you ever have a moment of clarity or a catalyst that sort of brought that that point home you know the fact that we are all connected we're all part of the same system I guess not a moment. So I guess I've been conscious for a very long time how I feel when I step out into nature. So it's, you know, we all know mindfulness is important, but it's really hard to be mindful. But when you step into nature, particularly when you take your shoes off, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) you have to be mindful because you literally could tread on a snake. I actually had one day where I was on a very long barefoot bushwalk with a Buddhist monk in the hills and I literally nearly trod on a snake and squealed so yeah when you're barefoot you have to be mindful you have to watch you have to slow down you have to watch where you put your feet and all of a sudden it becomes really easy to drop out of your head and into your body being barefoot on the earth it's kind of it's my number one tool Mm. so we aren't meant to be disconnected from nature we I guess we know vitamin d is important to our well-being but we don't actually realize that until very recently, we were connected with the earth all the time. So our bodies were being flooded with negative ions. Those negative ions are antioxidants. You know, people buy those fancy salt lamps to get negative ions into their rooms. You just need to take your shoes off and go outside and stand on the earth. Or what I was doing this morning before this podcast, literally laying on the earth mm-hmm. and just soaking in. So there's actually, although it seems a bit woo-woo still to be barefoot, there's really good research to show that it does things like it increases our blood viscosity, it decreases our stress, it um, really good antioxidant. So, yeah, being barefoot has all these wonderful benefits that we tend to um, ignore. So I have my shoes on as little as possible these days. You're right. I mean, even just going out, hanging the clothes on the line, which is something I do every morning, um, and the tendency could be to wear shoes because the grass is wet and cold, but it is such a genuine joy to go out there barefoot and feel the cold, wet grass under my feet, you know, and feel it kind of squishing and shifting and tickling as I do something as mundane as hanging the clothes out. Um, and if you, if you're someone, I think, who needs to know like the reason why the research, the science behind it, knowing that that also doesn't just feel nice. It's not just a moment of mindfulness. It is doing things physiologically and, you know, psychologically, emotionally to us. Um, I think that is such a wonderful place to start because most people would have the opportunity to do some kind of mundane task in their day and do it barefoot. You know, it's just about choosing to experiment with it. Oh, exactly. And even just being conscious, you know, wandering outside for a barefoot bushwalk, even if it's only five minutes, it's not just the connection with the earth. It's also that you described when you go out to the clothesline and you kind of dropped into your body because you could feel it all. It was really difficult to stay in your head. And if you actually take it the next step and then walk out into into nature under a tree or something, you see the birds, you hear the birds, you smell the trees, you're being um, 
bathed in these wonderful things called phytocyanides, which are actually a chemical that plants produce to defend themselves from predators. But those phytocyanides, which are out in the forest, they're actually good for us too. So again, there's been research that's shown that they improve our immune function. So that smell of the forest, it's far better than those, um, what are they called? Aromatherapy things that we put in our houses. Instead, just go out and smell the forest. Right, exactly. <laughs> and again, so the aroma of the forest. That's it. Again, like the, the benefit is not just, oh, that feels so nice. There are, you know, proven physiological benefits to it as well. For me, that was one of the best, most awe-inspiring discoveries though, that, you know, there is tree medicine. And if we simply be in the vicinity of trees, we benefit in very real ways. It just, it felt like magic. This actually reminds me, I remember you talking on social media once about your barefoot bushwalking and you said, um, there was a certain section that you didn't do barefoot because it was too rough. And I was like, Brooke, you just need to slow down. So you can do the really rough stuff, but you just need to take your time and slow down. And that's what I love about it is you just can't keep on barging. And it's just, a, so we insulate ourselves from nature um, to the point where we're totally oblivious to our impact on her. So that um, reconnecting and being more conscious of the nature around us also brings, we become more conscious of our impact on her. Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. And, you know, that goes to something else I want to talk to you about, which is that you, um, you spent four or five years living in a tiny house and previous to that in, you know, a shed house. And you're now kind of partway through moving into a home, a small home that you have built. Um, what ways have you learnt to, uh, I guess, create a home that invites nature in um, and that doesn't, as you said, insulate us from all of the variations in temperature and comfort? Oh, really good question. I guess um, I'm thinking of my wonderful, so I'm passionate about earthing. And so I wanted a house that I could earth in whilst I was sitting at my desk. So we actually have a polished concrete floor that I was really careful when talking to my builder about making sure the edges weren't insulated. So it's the slabs actually literally connected with the earth. So when I'm inside and walking on the nice cool concrete, I'm still actually earthing as I do it. And I guess, but most importantly, it's probably the size. So our homes are so big and they insulate us. I guess we can't, that's one thing I loved about the tiny home. So it was so small, it's 15 meters squared. So it's literally a shipping container. It was six and a half meters by, um, no, six metres by two and a half metres. And so, and it's so small and stuffy that you, we've always got the door open. So we, I felt connected to nature all the time. I mm -hmm. could hear nature. I could hear the birds every morning. I could feel the changes in temperature. And so I think the best way to not insulate ourselves from nature is to keep our homes small so that we have to go outside because our, we can't be inside our home all the time. Mm. So the size. Yeah. And I, I mean, that takes me back to camping, right? One of the things I love about camping is that you have absolutely no choice, but to be outside the vast majority of the time. And it's, I've never returned from a camping trip, not completely refreshed. And I think that that's why, you know, it, it strips back the requirements of life, you know, of sleeping, of preparing food to the bare essentials I mean and I bare essentials is still you know completely fine and it invites us 
out into nature to do those things. You know, you, you wash in the river, you cook outside, you sleep with the windows open so that you can see the stars. You literally lay on the ground to sleep. Uh, do you, are you someone who enjoys camping? Um, we used to be huge campers until we've effectively spent the last right. year camping. So living <laughs> in the shed. Um, that's one thing, I guess, um, you know, our daughter's now um, 14 and we're like, wow, we haven't camped much, but she spent the last 10 years of her life camping. So living in a shed was like camping. A tiny home <laughs> is like camping. So yeah, we do camp. Um, I um, spend a lot of time um, out in the bush overnight by myself. So kind of camping, but not what you usually consider camping. But you've reminded me of... So we were in the shed for several years and then we finally moved into the tiny home. In that transition, the last summer in the shed, it was way too hot, 47 degrees, and we could not sleep. So we actually lived in a tent for a couple of months. And until that moment, I'd had a back problem that I just couldn't shake. So, and I, I guess, learned how to manage it through managing stress and um, what I ate, etc. But that few months of sleeping on the ground and being connected with the earth, I touch wood, the back injury hasn't come back since then. So we, up until, you know, in our evolutionary history, the way we live in the last few generations is so different to how mm -hmm. we have for our entire history. You know, we lived connected with the seasons and we actually watched the moon, the phases of the moon. We paid attention to what was happening outside, whereas we're just totally shut off from it these days. Well, exactly. Um and I think it's that seasonal connection that I've seen emerge in your work over the, the last few years. Mm. Um, and what I love about you, and we spoke about this briefly before we hit record, you're, you, you said, I just, I love that I can take six months away from social media. I love that, you know, I can work to my own cycles and to, you know, the cycles of the moon. And um, that fascinates me because I don't know a huge amount about it what okay I'm a complete beginner in terms of um because you mentioned I'd had a really busy week and you're like but that's manageable because it's you know full moon yep tell me about that okay so I now schedule my and I've always been a big scheduler I've always loved doing to-do lists so now I actually plan my entire life around the phases of the moon and it's been a life changer for me um so what I'm doing each and every day is influenced by whatever phase the moon is in. So new moon, two weeks ago, I actually sit down and I look at what my priorities are for work, for life, um, for family, and I craft those into new moon prayers or just setting intentions. Okay, so what do I want to achieve this month? And then I actually schedule that into my calendar for the next fortnight, which was particularly helpful this month because... You know, two weeks ago, I scheduled it all out and went, wow, this month is already full. So other commitments, I kind of bumped to the next month. And so I've been really good this month in saying no, because mm. I knew I couldn't fit it in. I could already see that the next four weeks were full. And so I guess I've been, over the last five years, I, I've been, I've stepped away from work, but now I'm kind of stepping back into work I'm stepping back into being more active in my land care group so these all these things that I'm stepping back into but I'm conscious I don't want to overwhelm and exhaust myself mm. so um, I've I find it really good in terms of stopping myself from being torn because I always have a really that, that those new moon prayers or setting those intentions gives me a really good opportunity to work out where I'm going 
to make sure that I'm not taking on things that I shouldn't be doing or I can wait to do. And then after that new moon period of, well, that's what I do. So I schedule in my work. It's my brainstorming and kind of, yeah, my, brain, my time for brainstorming. And then as we get to first quarter moon, that's when I kind of step up my work. And as we get to full moon, which is where we're at now, anything that um, requires me to be really outward focused, that's when I schedule it for kind of this full moon week. And, you know, after the full moon, then I start stepping away from my work more and I decrease and I do more reflective things. So that's when I rest and retreat and um, start to slow down. And the last quarter moon, I really drop out of my work and every single month I schedule in the three days before the new moon as my dark moon retreat days. So I try my best to not schedule anything into those days. I try to keep them clear. I try to, um, I, you know, we always have things to do. Mm. So if I am busy during that dark moon time, I just know I'll pay for it later. Right. If I actually want to be at my best for the following month, if I want to, um, so I love, I actually heard you mention, so these are words. So um, restoration, renewal, retreat, um, regeneration, reevaluation, resolve, and the introduction to season nine, I heard you say, recalibrate, reframe, and revisit. And even the current land care conference, it was talking about, what were they saying? They were saying, uh, rethink, renew, and recharge. So we know all these Rewords, which actually means again and again. So mm. it's a prefix from Latin, which means again and again. And so everything's circular. So nature's circular, life is circular, but we actually think we're exempt from that natural cycle. So all of nature follows the same rhythms. There's birth, growth, full bloom, harvest, decay, and death, rebirth. And the cycle is always the same, but we somehow think that we can beat that cycle and we can actually be in full bloom producing all the time but it's impossible we can't actually um, do that so I guess nature she's kind of the queen of work-life balance she knows that the time she's in full bloom is just as important as when she's resting see I love that they are both important right we we live we live in a society where even if someone says of course rest is important what they kind of mean is it's nowhere near as important as work and output, but we recognize that, yes, you need a little bit of it. So, you know, here's your eight hours where we're not expecting you to answer emails or whatever it might be. Mm. Here's your two weeks a year where you get to step away. Um, that is not honoring those two things, you know, the full bloom and the rest uh, as equals. It is saying one is far, far more important and let's attach your identity to it so that when when you do spend time in rest you're constantly feeling guilty ah the guilt yes you know and I think that's something that I have so many conversations with people who struggle with they rationally understand we are not machines you know we are cyclical beings that require this process and this cycle constantly of renewal and and um, you know rest but the guilt that is attached to it is so entwined in, you know, capitalist society that we've grown up in where our value is attached to our output. Is that something that you have um, and possibly continue to unpack and unlearn in yourself? Yeah, totally. So I guess for me, I don't see, I'm not guilty for the rest anymore because I actually know that when I'm resting I'm actually achieving something mm -hmm. it's not like I'm achieving nothing so we could I like to think that if I 
don't take a break, if I don't rest, if I don't tune inwards, if I don't listen to my intuition, I'm just faffing. I'm just wasting time. So, you know, we've actually, we're no good to anyone, to our families, our communities. If we're burnt out, overwhelmed, anxious, exhausted. So the quality of our work or the quality of our productivity actually depends on the quality of our rest. So I like to think that the deeper we retreat, the smoother the landscape of our future. So yeah, I don't feel guilty for rest at all anymore. Rest is actually, it's not laziness. It's actually really hard work because we think, so our culture, we think we're resting when we're on social media, <laughs> big books, um, binge watching Netflix, but they're actually not rest. So our minds spend most of their time in busy beta mode. It's kind of the brainwave that happens when we're um, thinking, we're actually trying to do something you know, goal orientated. So when you're reading and watching TV, you're actually in that busy beta mode. So what we need to do is to rest in a way that our mind actually slows down and transitions. So the next phase is alpha waves. So they're kind of higher and they're slower and they're higher in amplitude. I hope that's the right word, amplitude. And um, so that's what happens when we meditate, walk through a forest. And then there's even the deeper theta waves, which happen when we're deep meditation or sleeping or when you're, you know, that moment when you're cleaning your teeth or you're driving along a freeway and all of a sudden an answer drops into your head. Yep. Um, so that's theta waves. That's where you're, you're doing a monotonous task where your mind switched off and those brilliant pieces of information just drop into our brain. And if we don't slow our brains down, we don't actually, we miss out on those wonderful insights. So the time we pause, we lay dormant, it's actually, it's giving us insight and it's improving our health. And it's so that once we emerge, we know exactly where we're going. Mm. We know what we want to cultivate. Otherwise, we just, you know, there's always things to do. Um, we just need to stop, take a breath and work out what it is we want to focus on because we can't do everything. And that, that is the heart of it, right? It is recognizing and acknowledging we cannot do everything. It doesn't yeah. matter how well we schedule our lives. It does not matter. It is simply not possible. Um you know, we won't see everything. We won't read all the books. We won't experience everything. And it's more about um, really being present for the things that we do and finding depth and, you know, um, like really immersing ourselves in them. There is so much more, so, it's, it's so much media, you know, there's so much, mm. it's so much juicier it, and it means so much more than if we try and do all the things and kind of skim across the top um, of them. I think that I'm so I'm so um, drawn to this idea of scheduling based on the moon, right? Because it is something I have never ever ever done before. Uh, to someone who similarly finds themselves, you know, interested, curious, but isn't self-employed um, or doesn't have flexibility around their workplace. What's something that they could do to kind of bring that understanding of the moon cycle and understanding of their energy to a rigid kind of work schedule or, you know, um, somewhere that their time is spoken for in a much stronger sense? 
So it doesn't have to mean we're spending less time working. We're just changing mm. the type of work we do. So mm-hmm. I guess for me, although I'm, um, you know, I work part-time, but I'm also self-consider myself self-employed, I'm still working every day. I'm still often, you know, sitting at a desk or sitting at, but the type of work I do is changing. So my brainstorming, as I mentioned, or my planning or scheming, um, it'll happen at the new moon. And then that those really long days where I've just got to get a report done. Um, I'll schedule that in and know that I can burn out. I can use a whole heap more of my time and energy at the full moon. And then, so editing a document, for example, I would schedule that after the full moon. So the last quarter moon. So that's the rest of the reflect and that's your gaining insight. And so you still do the work. You're just deciding where to place it. And it's also, I suppose, just developing an awareness of, oh, this is why I'm so depleted Mm. from doing this kind of work, because this is the part of the cycle that I'm in. You know, it's also, I I find it really validating to understand why things might hit differently at different times of the, you know, of the cycle. So even being able to do that and say, okay, this is something that's unavoidable. I can't avoid doing this event, even though it is at probably the most inopportune time of the cycle. and knowing that I can either do some work to kind of fill my cup up ahead of it or recognize that at the end of it, I'm going to be really tired. And maybe that's the night that I give myself, you know, permission to go to bed at seven o'clock, whatever it might be, sort of understanding why you react the way you do um, and how it can be different throughout the, the whole cycle. Exactly. And I keep that kind of, you know, I'm 49. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm talking about moon cycles, but I guess women, we have our own internal moon cycle, our menstrual cycle. and um, workplace menstrual policies are actually becoming more common so people are talking about it these days so you know I've I'm well and truly in perimenopause territory so I'm I guess tuning in with the moon but you know if 10 years ago if I'd known about I guess menstrual cycle awareness it would have been a game changer for me mm. I kind of wish I had known about it well, I'm just so glad that it's a conversation that we're now having because, you know, we're able to talk to the next generation about of, of girls and women, why they might feel differently throughout their own cycle and not to feel shame, not to feel like there's something wrong with you, not to feel like, yeah, I'm just, you know, losing my mind over here. No, you're not. This is a very real, very natural part of this cycle that you are a part of, you know, and I think that just opening those conversations up to not only girls and women, you know, to the men and boys around us too. It is a completely valid experience for roughly half the population. So, you know, the fact that it is a conversation that we're now starting to have much more openly, I think is brilliant. And I hope that it brings so much more freedom and flexibility, you know, around the way that we work, around the way that we expect of ourselves to Mm. show up because it is also shifting those self-expectations, I think. So I like to think of PMS, you know, we berate ourselves for being furious or grumpy or heartbroken or sad. But as I said to my husband, Mike, be grateful. This is a gift. I'm telling you what needs to change. Just listen. It reminds me this morning. So I We've got this beautiful polished concrete floor that I'm in love with. And every morning I wake up and there's dust, not every morning. So every few days, the floor gets dirty. And in the morning, the sun shines through this one particular window and it highlights all the dust. And instead of going, oh, look at that dust. I'm like, oh, wow, I can see the dust. I can clear it up. So I feel like PMS is like, oh, I can feel, I can see the crap that needs to be fixed and I can fix it. So for me, I got to perimenopause and 
that's actually when all the stuff that we've shoved under the carpet rears its ugly head and it's all the stuff that we need to deal with. So it's a hugely powerful rite of passage if we give it the attention it deserves. Mm. If we take time out to sit with those feelings and actually learn from them. So I'll give the example and I'll come back to the menstrual cycle after this, but I'll give you the example of, so we were supposed to talk last year and it was a week where, so I hadn't menstruated in eight months or something. And I had so much like PMS. I was grief stricken. I was in tears and I was heartbroken at the state of the world and heartbroken at the lack of kindness in other people. And I could have, and I would have in the past, just gone suck it up, Trisha, just go on with it. But for me, I was conscious that it may have been my last period. I was conscious that it was a gift and that I wanted to hear the grief and feel the grief because otherwise I'm just using losing a really good opportunity to process the grief and mm. work out what I need to do to move forward. So um, I think, and so every single month, women who are menstruating, we have this gift of this insight into what needs to change in our life. And instead of medicating ourselves or berating ourselves, I guess if we listen to that. So I'm really conscious of helping my daughter recognize that she can take the time out. If she wants to, she can stay in bed for the day because it's really important that we don't, um, so our menstrual cycle is a really good barometer of our well-being. So if we pay attention to it, we can actually improve our health. We can improve our well-being. The PMS can be really real too. It's the pain is real. And so I'm, I just wish we could, we were better at telling girls that that pain will go away. In a few Mm -hmm. days, you'll feel better. And that's Mm -hmm. okay. Just sit with it now and listen to it. And it may mean that you need to cancel some things, like I cancelled our interview. It may mean that you need to suck it up and just keep on going. But if you do that, you just know you've missed a really good opportunity to perhaps clean some dust. So whereas for me, I I had all the typical um, problems with my menstrual cycle that were saying that I needed to change things. So I had endometriosis, I had infertility, these things. And if I'd known what I know now, I could have healed those. And I did later in life. But so if we would just stop and listen to the nature around us and the nature inside us, we would suddenly realize when to slow down and how to slow down. Yeah. And I, you know, I have never thought of, you know, our own cycles, PMS, um, as an opportunity to look at what needs clearing out, but my God, what a beautiful, like flip, you've just flipped it on its head, you know? So everyone who menstruates, like, I feel like that is such, um, you've, you've given me a gift and I hope that anyone who is listening who also menstruates finds something in that because uh, the analogy of sweeping the floor is one that I can relate to enormously. Unlike you, I may be not quite so enlightened. We have this batch of floor <laughs> that similarly shows dust at a particular time of the day. And I'm like, oh my God, there's more dust. It just keeps coming. It keeps coming. Um, so from now on, that patch of floor is going to be a signal that I have a gift waiting for me. It's actually my favorite. <laughs> and I hand my kids the broom. <laughs> yep. No, but see, that's my favorite moment of the day now. It's like I go, oh, look at the dust. And it's you know, it's not every day I need to sweep, but when I do need to sweep, I see it. And then I take literally only five minutes out to sweep the floor. And that's right. mindfulness. You were talking about um. I guess seeing PMS as a gift. Mm. So, I had, so perimenopause is like one really long period of PMS, like five to 10 years. 
and and that's what it feels like literally for me and for many people I love um so Christiane Northrup the author of The Wisdom of Menopause talks about it being the mother of all wake-up calls so it's actually this time when all those all the stuff we need to deal with all the stuff that we've swept under the carpet needs it emerges we can't ignore it anymore Mm -hmm. and so it's like so women we're designed again it's biological it comes back to nature so we um as we enter puberty and I'll I'll guess my teacher Jane Hardwick Collings from the School of Shamanic Womancraft I like the way she describes it so at puberty the veil of estrogen descends so it's been known as the hormone of accommodation so whatever you want dear so we're designed to do anything even sacrifice ourselves for the sake of our children and mm. our families but then at perimenopause the bowel lifts and we're weaned off estrogen and all of a sudden we're like what? why am I the only one that does anything around here so all these so we could actually ignore that we could medicate ourselves we can go into surgery we can do all these things and I know there's a place for all that but we can also sit with the heartbreak we can sit with the pain we can sit with the hot flushes so we can actually use it as a really good opportunity to sweep up all the crap under our carpets so a friend of mine so that talking about that PMS feeling she's saying but I was just being I'm being so irrational and I'm like yeah you've actually ramped it up a bit because you're not listening so we can be particularly also when we've got PMS we can seem irrational and we can be irrational and we can look back on it and go oh perhaps I overreacted but our bodies were screaming at us to listen and we're not listening. So all these problems and all these bad feelings and all this pain, it's getting worse and worse because we're not stopping to listen to what we need to fix. Right. So to unpack that a little bit, like to take a step back, is it possible? And I genuinely don't, I got, this is a genuine question and you may or may not be able to answer it. If, if we commit ourselves to dealing with the dust, the stuff that we would otherwise sweep under the carpet, if we commit to dealing with that in a regular kind of measured way, is it possible to move through the transition into perimenopause without it being such a time of upheaval and stress? Totally. Exactly. So if we're actually every month, so we've got this cycle and we're regularly sweeping the dust under the carpet, we'll get to perimenopause will lift the rug and there's nothing left underneath because we've dealt with all the crap every single Mm. month we've taken the time out to sit in bed for a day or to walk into the forest for a day or to journal or to wonder why I feel sad about this particular thing or to wonder why this person's annoying me if we do that each and every month um, it's just this kind of we end up dealing with all the crap we need to deal with yeah what an amazing invitation to you know be open to that maintenance process almost yeah, exactly yeah and it's following exactly the same you know I spoke about all of nature no matter which cycle you look at it's that that birth growth full bloom harvest decay death and rebirth the cycle of the day the cycle of the seasons the cycle of the moon our menstrual cycle our life cycle they all follow exactly the same cycle but we end up staying trying to stay in that full bloom productive phase and we miss all this wonderful retreat and rest and regeneration and we just aren't living our best lives and Mm. more than ever I guess we need to be capable there's a whole lot of stuff that we need to be dealing with so I like to think resting 
you know, when nature reminds us to whether we're menstruating or whether we're in a life. So it's not only perimenopause, we've also got our menarche or becoming a mother matrescence. I like to think menarche, matrescence and menopause are these life stages where we really should be taking a break. And so it's not laziness, it's about increasing our capacity. So capacity to deal with stress, capacity to nurture our families, capacity to contribute to our communities, capacity to come up with creative solutions, and it's capacity to do the work that needs to be done. So it's not doing nothing, mm. it's actually building our capacity to cope with all the crap we've got to deal with today. Right. And I mean, I personally can attest to what happens when, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, what happens when we don't or can't take that time to rest, to recalibrate in those, those big transitional moments, you know, uh, you know, going through puberty, that's the time where everyone's expectations of you increase tenfold. And, um, you know, you become so much more aware of societal expectations and you feel that really heavily and you push and you push and you push. Mm. And then matrescence, when you become a mother, that's the, for me, the experience was the exact opposite of stepping back. It was, you know, stepping in, pouring all of myself in only to find that a couple of years into being a mother, I had nothing left, you know, and I'm determined for that not to be the case. Um, You know, when menopause arrives and whatever that looks like for Mm. me, and hopefully it's, something that I've worked through the maintenance of in, you know, the years between now and then, but we do ourselves a disservice by pushing through and by then perpetuating those same expectations onto other people. You know, I think we do have the opportunity having struggled to then turn around and offer support and a different frame, a different lens for people who come after us. You know, we don't need to perpetuate the same the same cycles of burnout and exhaustion. Yeah, and the disservice is real. So, for example, Lara Bryden, she's got a book, Hormone Repair Manual. And what I found to me was a huge, I guess it was probably the last step in me dropping the guilt. The consequences of our not us not taking a break at perimenopause are actually, that's when dementia can kick in for women. So she's, so what happens is as we're weaned off our reproductive hormones, our brain is going through a second puberty. It's exactly the same shuffling that happens to our brain during puberty is happening at perimenopause. And if we push on through, if we don't um, look after ourselves, if we don't give ourselves the rest we need, that's actually when we can actually cause damage to our brain. So that's where dementia can kick in in women at perimenopause if that brain rewiring doesn't go well because we're too stressed. So we actually need to focus, do anything we can to not be stressed. And that's really hard when we've (laughs) got all these things going on in our life. We've got all these feelings. We've got all this huge workload. Um, We're looking after people. We're looking after our communities. But we have to take the time out to look after ourselves. Otherwise, we'll have dementia and we won't be there to look after them later. Like, it's real. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really helpful, though, because, you know, we can talk about it theoretically. But if you look at that, you know, the very real potential of permanent brain changes, I think that's that brings it into perspective. You know, this Mm -hmm. is not just a nice to have. Yeah, it's definitely not the time to be pushing on through. We're just going to yeah. stop and listen. So, you know, you've, you're kind of coming back into your work um, in lots of different ways after a couple of years of having stepped back and having taken that time to care for yourself, to really dive deep into that, um, that rest and the recalibration. What moving forward, you know, as you work, as you come back into work, as you've got a beautiful book that's on the way out, um, 
What does rest, what does care look like for you on a day-to-day basis now? It's just all those things that are helping me to tune into my body and turn inwards. So for me, that's the barefoot bushwalking is the main one. So I guess I love randomly meandering through the forest with no shoes. So the mindful walking, it works to an extent, but there's certain times when I know I need more. So when I'm feel broken, I feel stretched. I feel like if I don't do something major, I'm actually going to not be able to cope next month. So when I feel like that, I give myself the time I need. So one of my favorite ways to do that is to just spend time alone in the forest by myself. So I'll, so sit spot, I guess, is something I like to do most days. So I've got this spot in the forest across the road where I will walk in mindfully barefoot, perhaps with a question on my mind. And then I get to the sit spot and I just drop the question, I drop the issue and I just tune into my senses. So I listen to the sound, I smell, I look, and I just focus on being present with what's happening around me. So every time my mind drifts off to something else or a problem, I just bring it back to where I am and what's happening. So I'll watch the birds or what this morning I was watching a, a moth flutter for five minutes. Like that's a moment of mindfulness. So that's what I focus on, those things that bring me into my body. But there's times when that's not enough. So I'm a huge fan of um, wilderness solo. So going out into the wilds, solitary fasting. So the first time I was introduced, it's also called um, vision quest. So Mm -hmm. it's actually getting out into the forest to one spot and um, ceremony and ritual connected with it, but it's just being there fasting in nature. And so the first time I did that was with, um, as part, I did a four seasons journey with the School of Shamanic Women Craft. It's all about reconnecting with the seasons and cycles of nature and life. I, we did a wilderness solo and at that stage I still suffered quite debilitating anxiety when I was driving. So I couldn't drive on highways, the trucks. I just didn't like that loser control. So I literally drove to this wilderness solo um, by all these back dirt roads all the way up to the north coast. It took two hours extra longer, but I had to because there was no way. If I was on the freeway, I would have had a panic attack. And I experienced that and I knew that was going to happen. So we were there for about eight or nine days but there was this three day three night four day wilderness solo where all the women were off in their own spots fasting by themselves and in nature and a week later when I was driving home I actually just went actually I can take the highway and I actually jumped on the highway drove on the highway and then a couple of hours later I was I overtook you know the long B double trucks which I could not go anywhere near before. I overtook three of them in a row. Like I just drove past them. And so that was three years ago now. And I've been like, and so the anxiety um, very rarely comes back. And when it does, I know how to manage it. So it was literally overnight, my, over three nights, mm-hmm. um, my anxiety was profoundly impacted. And I've, I guess for the past three years, being trying to work out why like what was it and I literally think because I just gave my brain a break so Mm. I there's we we weren't allowed to do anything you literally we couldn't even busy ourselves making a little pile of firewood or anything like that you just had to not do you just had to be and so which is hard but um so we couldn't even digest our food there was no food so our bodies we just stripped away every single ounce of doing so that we could be and that impacted my anxiety in 
it's hard to describe how profoundly. So for now, it's my go-to. So I've only done it a handful of times since then, but I do take myself out into the forest and I do fast and I sit there. That's phenomenal. I mean, I feel like that's a whole other podcast episode right there because um, I'm fascinated by vision quests. And um, I have a friend who, you know, goes out um, and does similar kinds of um, programs and weekends. And I'm just, beyond fascinated but also terrified of it to be perfectly honest not the not the being out in nature kind of thing um but the as you said the importance placed on simply being rather than doing you know I I like going slow I I think I'm pretty decent at rest but there is still that element of you know a calm nice version of productivity you know there's creativity attached to it there's gardening there's pottering there's basket weaving whatever the idea of literally sitting um and being for multiple days is so fascinating to me but I can understand the um the anxiety attached to it too I wish I could remember I think I'm I'm quoting someone here but I don't recall who it is so Wilderness solo is kind of like sit spot on steroids. So sit spot's fine. But if you really want to go deep, if you really want to deal with all that crap, you know, wilderness solos are definitely one way to do it. And I guess you may just be scared of actually looking at all that that you're trying to avoid. But at some stage, you need to look at it. Yep. Otherwise, as we've discussed, it will come back. Yes. Again (laughs) and again. And that's that reword again, literally re in Latin means again and again. And what we need to, there's, um, we need to embrace that idea. If we have this chance to fix everything again and again, and if we don't fix them, we're going to be dealing with them again and again. Yeah. I'll fix it next time. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and sometimes the valid answer is next time. Right. But um, it's also worth remembering that now or you know upcoming is is also a valid choice um because if we keep putting things off it will bite us in the butt at some point well and we're also not at our best so yeah we and if we're not tuning into our inside we're not doing what we're meant to be doing so there's so many people like I like the idea of I don't even read books in my three dark moon retreat days because that's what someone else thinks needs to happen right so those three days I don't throw so we've got so much information being thrown at us in terms of what we need to be doing and how we need to be solving these problems but you know you may have the answer to a particular problem inside you but you're not listening to it because you're listening to what everyone else is having mm. to say so that opportunity to listen you know we all have valid ways to contribute we all have magic inside of us and I imagine a lot of us are just not a pain because we're looking at the magic that everyone else has instead of our own and that is such a an important point I think um that deep listening like that deep self-listening is something that only comes in rest and there was going back to what you were talking about um before with the theta waves you know and that being the only opportunity that we have to access those that those moments of like bright lights deep uh-huh. knowing yeah, yeah exactly you know if we don't ever allow ourselves to access them, we are leaving so much creativity, so much on the table. And not only are we worse off, but, you know, our families and our work and our communities and all of those places that our clever, creative, problem-solving brains could contribute, if we never access that, that way of being, those things will never come. And for me, that is such an inspiration reason to do the work of digging deep into rest into stillness um, because 
you know, as someone like yourself, like most people listening, probably everyone listening, you care. You care about the world, right? And the world needs change. The world needs to shift. We need solutions. Um, and those solutions need us to be creative and engaged. And if we're not, then we can't really contribute to the, you know, the, the rewriting of things and the unlearning and the, you know, the new ways forward. We need change and creative solutions more than ever. And we're not going to do that if we don't stop and listen and slow down. Absolutely. What a way to wrap up an amazing conversation. Trisha, thank you so much. You've been, like I said, you know, give me a part two because I want to dig into all of this, you know, wilderness solo stuff. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing some of your story and your um, perspective. I appreciate it so much. <laughs>